This is the Power Aesthetic Podcast. Today we are going to be talking about spirituality. Uh, this is a word that many people dislike, uh, many people probably misuse, um, and that, like a lot of other words in our current parlance, has come to be so uh, widely defined as to almost have no meaning anymore. So we are going to try to uh, work around some definitions and talk a little bit about uh, its value or lack of value. I'm going to try to keep a really good sense of humor here because after all, we are talking about stuff that nobody really fucking knows anything about. Uh, it's important to be able to laugh, to not take ourselves too seriously, and I think to not get too embedded in one line of thinking or another because the very nature of the mysteries of this world in which we live are such that uh, to, to be concrete about things and to be stubborn about some things is to close your, yourself off to a lot of interesting ideas. So we'll keep an open mind here. We'll keep a sense of humor and we'll dig in. I'm going to try to not meander too much, but this is a pretty broad concept. And so we will probably do a long series of podcasts on this as long as I'm doing this podcast. And so today we're just going to cover some sort of rudimentary ideas, but I hope not boring ones, and delve into some areas that may be of actual value for you in your life, which is the overall goal of this podcast anyway. To, to begin, um, you know, I think everyone's connection with, with spirituality, with religion, whatever, a lot of that stuff comes from um, from childhood, from our upbringing. And I think a lot of that is going to be unavoidable. The relationships that you have to the way you were brought up or, or the things that you were exposed to are going to have an unavoidable impact on that later, just like your sexuality, your, you know, your, your formative opinions and stuff like that. A lot of this stuff sets in early. Um, when I was a kid, religion and, and God and all that kind of stuff was not, um, it wasn't a hypothetical. It was as real as, you know, baseball or hockey or corn on the cob. There wasn't a question of whether or not God was real. Uh, there was just sort of fact. And I, I grew up in a very religious household. Um, you know, I, I struggled with that when I was young. But as a as an adult who's you know made his own decisions and gone his own way, I'm glad that I did because it it did expose me to a lot of different ideas, even just through the nature of having religion be such an important part of the household. It made me inquisitive and curious about a lot of that stuff. And I asked a lot of questions and was lucky enough to have a dad who still uh, will will field my off the wall, sometimes probably completely dumbass questions <laughs> about uh, about various religious uh, sects and beliefs and so on. He, he has a degree in, uh, you know, philosophy, comparative religion and went to seminary and all the rest of this stuff and, and has a very open mind and is very um, amazing about the way he is willing to explore ideas and discuss things with Although he is an Orthodox priest, so he is certainly going to let you know where he's coming from. He's also able to have all these discussions from a really, really objective standpoint. And so I, I consider myself really lucky for that. So thanks, Dad. Um, you know, and so growing up, you know, early on, I, I think the questions for me began to come in really early. And a lot of those questions were ones of the basic tenets, I, I guess, of religion, ideas of, of right and wrong, 
human nature, uh, the concept that that man is to is something to be reformed, uh, that that there was a perfect expression of man and that he has fallen away from that. And his his sort of goal in life is to reform himself to this concept of, of originality, you know, of, of Christ, of whatever. And this is something that a lot of spiritualities around the world share, this idea of reforming oneself into the original version or idea of what the divine wanted for man to become Christ-like, to become, you know, the Buddha or, or whatever. And so, you know, I had questions about all that human nature. If, if, if we want to do these things, if they were placed there by a divine mind, then how can they really be wrong? And on and on and on. And a lot of the basic questions that a lot of young people have on religion. And after that, a lot of logic-based, rational questions, I thought, like, uh, if the Bible is true, and if it's the only spiritual truth in the world, as many Christians believe it to be, um, why did all of this occur at a very specific place in time, in a very specific culture? Um, what is the importance of the books of Moses as it pertains to, you know, this this Messiah character? And why are there a chosen people if all people are equally important and so on and so forth? And so I started having a real falling out with with the ideas behind Christianity as I saw it then in a very literal sense. Uh, I was really young. And so I started exploring. So I looked at, you know, a lot of different things. I think I started going into Eastern stuff. Uh, I studied a lot of, of Buddhism and Hinduism. And then from there went into stranger stuff, uh, Crowley and a lot of different esoteric writers, uh, including some of the really strange ones, uh, Austin Osmond Spare and, you know, a lot of other guys. And, and sort of from, I would say, 13 through a great deal of my 20s and even even into my 30s and still um, I educated myself and read a, a staggering and maybe absurd amount of, of esoteric and, and occult literature. And, you know, I've been a member of, of a handful of different esoteric organizations and orders and, you know, have journeyman and mastered in some of those. And spirituality and religion has just been a really important concept to me ever since I was young. And the exploration of that has led me ultimately back to what I feel is a much simpler expression of it. But let's get down to basics here and let's talk about definition of terms. I always like to define terms because we can say spirituality, uh, but what does this mean? You know, is this a crystal poking cafeteria style white light um, drawing down the moon kind of vibe, or does it have a, and, and you know, not to knock anybody, but again, you know, to keep a sense of humor, is there, is there a precise meaning behind this word? Because it's so broad, it's so broad to be that, it, that it's useless. And so if we look at the word spirit, it, it comes from Latin spiritus, which, which means the definition is, is soul, but also vigor, uh, courage and breath. Uh, like the Greek pneuma, that is a, the, a gloss used for it oftentimes. Pneuma means breath, uh, moving air. And so it's interesting that these, these peoples saw the spirit, the unseen animating force in, in man, as being in some cases synonymous with breathing and with, with breath. You can see the importance of this in a lot of Eastern uh, practices and stuff with prana and, and pranayama and things like that. And that they believe, you know, that the soul, the spirit itself is vitalized and strengthened by practicing, um, you know, aware breathing and stuff like that. 
to me, uh, you know, spirituality means the, the exploration of anything beyond the sensory experience. You know, that is what we can see, taste, hear, smell, touch. And, and, but also, and I think maybe more importantly for a definition of terms, how we relate to that. You know, how do we relate to you know, the planets, the stars, plants, animals, the cosmos, man, woman, life, death, afterlife, and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's about figuring out what narrative in a lot of ways we choose to subscribe to when looking at things that we cannot either explain or see or touch or quantify in a mathematic kind of way. Uh, and so it's also the recognition, I think, of the possibility that there is more to life than just our own life. In other words, that there there is the potential of a connection between things and people and times and places that goes beyond the sterile idea of I am here as uh, you know a, a random chaotic chance and and so is the universe and I'm here now gone tomorrow and that's it that's that there's nothing before there's nothing after um, I'm just here as a drop in the long line of human experience from a beginning uh, until you know, ostensibly uh, uh, an ending point when this all comes to an end. That may be true. Uh, that has never been something I was interested in stopping at. I think that it's too, it's too neat for me, you know? And so it, it's a, it's a choice to believe this stuff or to not believe it. So in a way, you know, you could say that all spirituality or, or, or spiritual exploration is in a way faith-based because you're choosing to believe something, but I think that, that there's there's something that needs to be made as a distinction between the two because it's not necessarily faith-based. It's not necessarily belief. It is an openness to possibility, you know, what, what they call maybe agnosticism, but that it's not necessarily saying, I believe that there is an afterlife. I, I personally uh, don't really believe in, in an afterlife in the way of we go on with our consciousness to experience more things. I believe an afterlife comes through the equally as wondrous and awful and awesome majesty of genetics uh, and the blood, but that it's more of saying I'm not against the possibility of this stuff being there or, or being in existence. And I want to explore that. I, I think one of my difficulties with atheism, much like my difficulty with any sort of philosophy, belief system or whatever that has an, an A or an anti at the beginning of it, is that I've never really subscribed to the concept of holding a philosophy that was by its nature anti other philosophies, that it dis defines itself uh, in, in its negativity, its negation of another idea. That's always seemed very wasteful to me, you know, and, and, and often many atheists that I've met and I've, I've met plenty and I, many of them are, are dear friends of mine or, or in my crew or whatever, but I've met a lot of them whose life seemed to be based around proselytizing atheism, which seems like a very unpleasant and unhappy way to go about your existence, to be married to the idea of trying to disprove things or be against things. Other other A words that, that define their philosophy and their political philosophy as simply being anti come to mind and I think are equally as fruitless and negative. So, you know, the other thing to think about here is that a lot of things are faith based. You know, science is in a way the new religion and a lot of people are going to take, you know, they're, they're going to have an issue with that statement. But that unless you can yourself do the math 
to prove particle theory, you are just choosing to believe what's being transmitted to you by someone else, which in many ways is like the priesthood. You know, Roman Catholic services are are still in many cases performed in Latin. Uh, and back in the day, were certainly performed in Latin. So the average layperson couldn't even fucking speak the language that the ritual was done in. Um, this is where we even get our term hocus pocus from, they think, in hoc corpus meum. Uh, during the transubstantiation rite of Holy Communion, the priest would say this. And uh, the people didn't know what the hell he was saying, but they knew that's where the magic happened. So in hoc corpus meum became hocus pocus. So you're just having stuff transmitted, you know, dark matter, uh, the, Mar- the existence of Mars, all of this stuff is in a way faith-based. People choose to believe what's told to them because they can't prove it themselves. So, you know, the other thing is that this, this is a difficult topic to discuss because it doesn't just deal with questions of, you know, is there an afterlife? It deals with questions of personal reformation, which brings us to ideas like what is good? What is bad? Are there such things? Are we beyond good and evil? Is suffering bad and is pleasure good? Uh, also, reformation into what or, or into whom? If we're putting off the old man to, to put on the new man, as the Gospels say, you know, what is the old man and what's wrong with him? What's wrong with the old jacket I was wearing? Why do I need this new fucking jacket? You know, and so it's, it's hard to talk about in tight terms, which is why I think that during this, we're just going to try to outline some basic ideas and, and explore some simple things that maybe we can go deeper into down the road. Because, you know, here we're, we're exploring our, our inner dimensions and interacting with the ideas of the sacred and the profane and so on. And that a lot of these ideas are not just limited to, you know, spiritual people, whatever that means. I, I believe that all people are spiritual people because we are all animated with some kind of life force that cannot still be quantified or seen or totally understood. But for example, you know, an atheist can still choose to believe in a connection between living things, an unseen connection that could be explained by science, but just hasn't yet, um, or the need to control anger and compulsive behavior and, and practice kindness. I think my ultimate question with any of these ideas is why? If I believe that I'm here as a random happenstance and, and that my life is based on chaotic randomness, my question is why? Uh, why practice kindness? Why not be a completely self-serving prick my entire life? Because, you know, the, the only answer for, for that why is that, well, these things create suffering or or you know, anti-pleasure, and these things create pleasure, in which case many of these ideas that reject the notion of any kind of value, of, of any kind of higher value, essentially come down to hedonism because they they boil down to the idea of, well, because this creates suffering and this creates uh, pleasure or the, the lack, at least, of suffering. So, you know, the, the trouble with, with all that kind of stuff is that we can only go so far until we say, well, everyone believes in something. Um, there's a quote here that I, I want to read from Mircea Eliade from his book, Sacred and Profane. And he says, in short, the majority of men, quote, without religion, still hold to pseudo religions and degenerated mythologies. There is nothing surprising in this, for as we saw, profane man is the descendant of homo religiosus, and he cannot wipe out his own history. That is, the behavior of his religious ancestors which has made him what he is today. This is all the more true because a great part of his existence is fed by impulses that come to him from the depths of his being, from the zone that has been called the unconscious, 
A purely rational man is an abstraction. He is never found in real life. Every human being is made up at once of his conscious activity and his irrational experiences. So I think he makes a good point here, and that is that a lot of spirituality is the desire to rationalize and form connection with not only irrational experiences, but unknown and mysterious experiences. And for that reason, I think that there is value there for me. When we look at the difference between some of these systems and, and, and different ways of, quote, practicing spirituality, we can see that some of these are experiential, some of them are transmitted, like we just talked about. Uh, transcendentalism and a lot of other, uh, especially more New Age, pagan, and, and, and many of the Eastern types of thought that are not uh, Brahmanism, that are, that are more experientially based, are that they, they are systems or, or rather anti-systems that place the highest value on an individual's personal experience, what's called uh, in, in very modern terms, unverifiable personal gnosis. Um, that is totally subjective, but maybe having more meaning to the individual because it's things that we've come to in our moments of, of clarity, of, of spiritual enlightenment or whatever you want to call them. I can say that certainly from my own experience, I've probably had more sort of lightning bolt moments um, walking in the woods and, and hearing the wind rush through all the trees above me at one time or, you know, watching my dog roll around like an idiot down a hill <laughs> um, or, or sitting with my back up against a tree and, and contemplating the, the mycelial mat around me um, and sometimes contemplating that mycelial mat while under the influence of uh, mycelial creatures and, and fungus and stuff. Uh, you know, I've I've experimented a lot with hallucinogens and and all the rest of that kind of stuff. It, I would say extensive research has been done in that area, but not because I believe that it's necessary or that I that I want to preach that everyone go out and take hallucinogens, but because I think that it is fascinating to me that there are things that exist on planet Earth, um, plants. And, and other spiritual helpers or whatever you want to call them that can completely change our perception of the universe and give us ideas that we may never have come to otherwise in a very shocking and ecstatic uh, and, and in a way ritualized experience. I think that the, the very fact that these things exist makes me question the nature of reality and the interconnectedness of it, but that is a tangent for another time. So I, I personally, uh, there's a great Herman Hess quote about the idea that wisdom is something that can't really be transmitted. It has to be learned. It has to be learned by the individual. And that I, I subscribe to experiential spirituality. That is, I feel that what is experienced has more value than what can be told. This is not to say that nothing can be learned from transmission, only that I think the deepest truths come from within ourselves, through our experiences, because as I've talked about in some of my videos on runes and stuff like that um, and other esoteric ideas, when I say tomato to someone, our relationship to that very word, even if we are both native English speakers, is completely different and it conjures up different memories and emotions and, and you know, all the rest of the things. Maybe emotions is a, is a far stretch for some people with the word tomato, but you understand my meaning. All of these things have very unique and subjective meanings to us and, and trigger and conjure different things within our internal universe. And so 
because of this, it's very difficult to read a scripture or hear a sermon or someone lecturing about something because of the very fallible nature of language and of words. We are going to relate to it in a different way. So when someone hears a scripture or a, a a passage, it means something completely different to them because no human being can ever truly know another human being. Um, we can only know what we can perceive about the other person. So I subscribe to experiential spirituality and religious experience while recognizing the fact that there are very wise people out there who have transmitted very wise ideas, but that that did not necessarily spiritually enlighten me or make me wiser. We have orthodoxy versus orthopraxy. This is another uh, very big idea, but the, the basic meaning of this is orthodoxy literally means correct belief, to have a correct doctrine. Uh, orthopraxy, as you can probably guess from the sound of the word, is, is correct practice, what we do. I am an orthopraxist. I'm not exactly sure what the correct word there is. Uh, but I believe that what we do is much more important than what we say we believe. But I also believe, eh, funny how that works. See what I did there? I also believe that what we do should be what we believe and what we believe should what be what we do. Jesus Christ, try to say that 10 times fast. Uh, in that, I think orthopraxy is more important, but I think that they should both line up. That is, if I say I believe something, it should be seen in my works, it should be seen in my actions and how I live my life. If I say I believe something, but my life is completely different from that, then it makes me a liar. It just means that what I say I believe isn't really what I believe, or it makes me a coward in that what I believe is too difficult for me to practice. And so even though I believe it, I lack the conviction, I lack the vigor, I lack the spirit, dare I say, to practice it. So I think that when we think about these things and, and what our values are, which is a good question for you to ask yourself, because that ultimately is a lot of what spirituality comes down to is what are our deepest values? What are the deepest ways with which we connect with the universe around us and find meaning there? And how do we practice that? What does that look like in our life? And in a way, how do we ritualize that? How do we sacralize that? Uh, this idea of, of sacralization kind of brings me to the next idea, which is that a great deal of spirituality and religion deals with the ideas, and we quoted from Mircea Eliade's amazing book, which I recommend everyone read, Sacred and Profane, is that there's these ideas there of sacred versus profane. Um, in, in other words, many, many religions, a lot of monotheistic religions especially, view their being, but, but also many pagan religions, but I don't want to digress too far, view there, there, uh, there being a difference between what is holy and what is not holy, the sacred and the profane. There are spaces set aside for ritual. There are tools set aside for ritual. There are rituals set aside to prepare one for ritual, uh, you know, bathing oneself, uh, incense fumigation, all the rest of this kind of stuff in order to place things outside of profane time and create a sacred time and space in which what we do is holy. Um, and this comes down to the idea of sort of reenacting the myth of creating the world, uh, becoming sort of God forms during our own ritual in order to affect change in the world within us or around us. Uh, I would say that the two are one and the same. And I would also say for my money, the sacred and the profane are not a versus, but an and. Uh, I believe that everything in, in our lives, in our world, in our cosmos, in our experience 
within us and without us is both sacred and profane. I think that that is largely a spiritual mindset. I, I think that living a life that sacralizes, that sees things around us as, as holy, elevates our experience here during, during this existence that we have and encourages us to see the deeper and more elevated things in the world around us, in the people around us, and so on. And I think that even that by itself has an incredible value. It's easy to see life as cheap. It's easy to see resources as cheap. It's easy to see nature as something to be exploited for, for gain or industry or whatever. It's easy to see things as having no meaning. Uh, when things have no meaning, they can become hopeless and lives can be lived in a very ugly, cheap, mean, and dirty way. So I think that the very nature of seeing ourselves and the world around us as holy, of seeing ourselves as, as little gods, you know, the, the idea that the, the microcosm represents the macrocosm, what is above is like what is below, places us into a mindset that is conducive to an elevated life. And so I believe that has value. A lot of people think that they're not spiritual, but what they mean is that maybe that they're not religious, you know, and again, that's one of those sort of very cliche, like, to me strikes me as a very bourgeois idea. Well, I'm, I'm spiritual, but not religious. And, and many Christians, especially fundamentalist buddy Jesus, uh, WWF promo style preachers will tell you, well, Christ wasn't religious, brother. Christ was spiritual. <laughs> come on, come on down. And let me tell you about how Isaiah was bummed, but he got unbummed through God. Um, they will also talk to you a lot about the idea of spirituality versus religion. But I think many people are put off from both of these terms but that through simplifying them and giving them real definition, we make them concrete and we make them valuable. There is another distinction made oftentimes, especially in, in Christianity, uh, between physical versus spiritual, uh, where again, I, I believe in things as being physically spiritual or spiritually physical. There is a lot of unnatural separation of the body and the spirit, but I believe that the spirit and the body are one. I believe that the spirit, the, the vigor, the pneuma, the breath, the animus uh, lives in every cell, that it lives in, in every aspect of us while we live, and that cellular decay and all these things occur as a removal or as a, an extinguishing of that animus. Uh, perhaps that goes somewhere else. We can talk about that in another one. But I think that the distinction between physical and spiritual is an illusion. I think that the rectification of those seeming opposites leads us through many interesting doors and down many interesting passages. And so in, in my practice, my personal practice, uh, the physical and the spiritual have no distinction. Um, I, I believe that there are spiritual truths to be gained from even exerting oneself to our maximum capability, possibly over long periods of time. Uh, this can be seen a lot in the East where, where different practices of... of um, austerities and so on have have spiritual meaning and and this does not necessarily mean that one must wreck themselves or or as Hess talks about you know one must not necessarily destroy themselves to find a secret behind the ruins but that the flesh um Nietzsche talks about the idea of how much wisdom there is in the body in one's own body and I believe that there's a great deal there to be explored we have a lot of different types of spiritual practice and spiritual expressions um, we see primal and, 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 quote, primitive spiritualities oftentimes are, are cults of the blood, uh, cults of the ancestors, 
cults of the animal, cults of gods, and so on and so forth, which are all essentially going back to what we just talked about. What is the value? What is the way that you connect and find meaning in the world around you? And how is that personified in, in a form of worship? My, my personal practice is my personal practice, and, and I don't often delve too deeply into that publicly because I think that sometimes what is for us is best kept for us. I think that there is a culture of oversharing, um, especially of very personal stuff, but that my own practice is probably closer to, to ancestor worship than anything. And I mean that on a, on a level of a cellular level, a, a genetic level, which is that I, I choose to believe, uh, there's that faith word again, I choose to believe that every individual who has ever made up my ancestral line all the way back to the beginning is reflected within me on a cellular level, within my blood, within my bones, uh, within my, my brain, my heart, my matter. And because I believe that there is no difference between the physical and the spiritual, I believe that this is responsible in a great way for the ways that I feel and think and perceive the world around me and quite possibly even my personality could be a mixture of these different people that I will never know, but that live within me and, and enshroud my animus in this living temple nonetheless. It is a belief that I choose because it makes me feel strong. It's a belief that I choose because I feel embraced in thousands of years of survivors, of victors, and of individuals who I believe would want the best for me, who would want the most for me. I also tend to not think of time in a linear fashion uh, when it comes to the great scheme of things, but a cyclical one, which means I choose to believe that there are future representations of myself and of my genetic line that also want the best for me, just as I would if I could look back and see different moments in the lives of my ancestors that I would want the best for them and that this creates sort of a timeless reciprocation between everything that's gone before and everything that will come to pass. These are choices to believe, but they're choices to believe that have had great benefit and impact on me. Um, it becomes more difficult to engage in extremely negative or self-destroying behaviors when you have created a framework and a mythos within which to place yourself because you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to this collective into which you are born, whether you chose to or not. And just like in my my regular physical life, I have chosen to be a member of a collective that I have to earn my place in every single day, which also affects a great deal of my choices. Um, so there are, there are a number of ways that spiritual ideas and, and things can enter into one's daily life. And I think we're reaching what I like for the cutoff time here. And so maybe we'll do another one about spiritual practices on the day today. But I hope this acted as a good sort of intro into the idea of spirituality as, as we will explore it um, as a as something that is that has value, that has some definition, and that can be utilized in a positive way in, in all of our lives, no matter what we choose to believe or what nation we come from or what our ethnic background or any of these things, because we all have choices to place ourselves within a narrative, within a mythos, within a framework. And I believe that doing so will elevate our life, it will elevate our experience, and it will elevate our thought processes to something that I hope can lead us 
further and further into greatness with our lives instead of living meanly, uh, cheaply, and uh, without hope. Uh, Guys, I hope you enjoyed this. Please, as always, send me mail if you want to, requesting any other podcasts or or future ideas that you'd like me to cover. Or if you just want to reach out and, uh, and chat a bit, I'm always open to that kind of stuff. So thank you for listening, and thanks so much for all the support so far. You guys are the best. Have a good one.